conversation and prayer with God. as a new creation of Jesus Christ. Hey, welcome to Church Experience. Thank you so much for spending part of your weekend with us. Now is a great time to grab your weeklies and head to your seats if you haven't already because the service starts in 90 seconds. I'm here to tell you today that God wants to set you free. Oh, yeah. He wants to set you free.
presence. Pursue a relationship with Him. Grow in your walk with Him. Get closer to Him. Spend more time with Him because He's better. If you want your life to get better, then get around the one who is better. Get around Jesus. Get around the one who has power to change and transform your life. Get around the one who has the perfect grace for you and the perfect love for you and the perfect joy for your soul. Listen, He is better. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. We are so excited about today's service. Now, we truly do believe that uh, today could be the best part of your week and most impacting part of your week. Now, throughout the service, you may have some questions, some comments, some prayer requests to go. So please go to churchexperience.tv forward slash connect or simply just pull up the camera app and hit the QR code to connect with us. Now, if you always want to know what's going on here at CE, just hit that subscribe button right here. Now, we'd love to hear from you. Now, get, please get back to us, um, and we'd be praying for you. We are ready to dive in. Would you stand with me and sing some songs of worship to Jesus?
Will you join me in prayer this evening? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you move mountains. We thank you that you're with us when oceans feel rough, when that hill feels too hard to climb. God, thank you. We know that you've done it before. We know that you're the same God who never changes. And we praise you for that. We pray that you would speak to us. Jesus, amen. Welcome back to our Better Decisions and Fewer Regrets teaching series where we're learning together how to make God-honoring decisions that are better and that lead to better results. And thank God, fewer regrets. This summer, I was up in Michigan visiting my amazing parents, sitting out on their great deck with a view and just having some incredible conversations, which we have done so many times. But I noticed something different this year. I look up and I see an awning stretched out over our heads, protecting us from the sun that would have been beating down on us, providing some great ambiance. But when the wind started to blow and blow significantly, this awning automatically retracted back into the roof of their house. Nobody pressed a button. Nobody did anything that caused this awning to retract by itself. It literally just did it on its own. And I was like, wow, how did that happen, mom and dad? And they said, well, if a gentle breeze starts to blow, nothing will happen. But if the wind starts to blow at such a rate that the awning is in risk of being destroyed, it will automatically retract into the roof. And I thought, how cool is that? And wouldn't it be amazing if you and I were that good at making decisions? That, that we, we literally can make decisions perfectly. Not, not too soon, right? Not too late when the damage was done, but, but, but right at the exact time, we, we could just 
make the decision that needed to be made. Just tuck it away. It'd be so good if we were naturally good at making decisions, but unfortunately, our human nature is such that we tend to make the exact opposite decisions that we can make. A quick example, they they tell you in the investing world, a financial expert would say, when when you're investing money, say for retirement in your 401k, or you're putting savings away for the future, just just set it and forget it. Put it in a well-diversified fund, something that's safe and conservative, and just put it away and let the years, let the decades roll on by and just leave it alone. (laughs) But unfortunately, that is not human nature, is it? Right? People driven by greed, when they see the markets going up and they're, they're moving and shaking and they see people are making money and they get greedy and so then they want to buy in when things are going up. Unfortunately, that's right about the time they're about to fall off the cliff, right? And then people, when they see things falling and failing, they, they want to pull all their money out, right? They're, they're driven by fear and so they want to retreat. And so it's a great way to lose a lot of money is to pull out at the wrong time, right? And so our natural human nature is to make the wrong decision at the wrong time. We're driven by all these emotions and when we should stick to a previous decision that we've made and write it out, we we tend to bail on that decision and rethink it in the wrong way. Or when we've made a decision and it's a poor decision and we should change it, we tend to avoid rethinking. We, we We tend to avoid thinking about anything at all and we just keep pressing on And it's like making the same wrong decision over and over and over again. What if in our decision-making, and by the way, our decision-making affects every aspect of our life. We make countless decisions every day. So what if you and I could learn to stick with the decisions that we need to write out instead of rethinking them at the wrong time, or learn to rethink poor decisions that we have made, which really need to be reevaluated so that better decisions can be made. What if we could learn that skill at just the right time? Not too soon, not too late when the damage is done, but at the right time, we can learn to rethink decisions. Listen, it would change your life. It would change your life. So today we're gonna talk about rethinking decisions. That's what I've titled the message today. And, and we're gonna look at an incredible story in 2 Kings Chapter 5, we're going to learn so much from God's word today. 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, God's word says, Now now Naaman was commander of the army of king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. So he's highly respected, highly regarded, highly accomplished, but he has a fatal disease, this leprosy. It's ruining his life, and it will ruin his future. It's a fatal blow. They, they couldn't destroy him on the battlefield, but this disease, this disease would easily take care of this valiant man. In verse 2, it says, Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master, and he told him what the girl of Israel had said. And by all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send the letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, and taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 sets of clothing. And the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. The king has a vested interest. 
This is his right-hand guy, his valiant warrior, a great leader. He wants him to be healed. He wants him to serve him faithfully for many years to come. So he sends him on his way. He has abundant wealth with him, and he has a letter from the king. He said, please heal Naaman. Verse 7, as soon as the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his robes, and he says, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? He knows his place. He says, I'm not God. I I cannot heal. Verse 8, though, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses, his chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent him a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. This is just go and cleanse yourself and you'll be healed, you'll be restored. Now, there's a couple things that are interesting about what's happening here before I read on these next couple of verses. So Naaman is a well-respected, well-regarded man. There's countless men at his command. So for Elisha to not even come out of the house and talk to him face to face would have felt very much like a snub to this influential man, this man with a lot of authority. Now he's there begging for healing, so beggars can't be choosers, but this, this would have been an obvious humbling moment for this great man. And Elisha didn't even come out, he sent a servant to give him this message. Now the, the second thing that's going on here is he tells him to go bathe in this local river, this river of Israel, the Jordan. And, and this is offensive to him because he has great rivers back home and in his biased opinion, his country's far better. His rivers are far better, more pure. So if all it took was cleansing himself in the river, then why couldn't he do that back home? Why does he need the servant of the prophet who's not even coming out to address him in person? Why does he need this person to tell him go to rinse in their river when he could do the same thing back home? Verse 11 But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abna and Farfar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in rage. So he's traveled all this great distance. There's massive stakes, his healing or his death if he doesn't get healed. With all that's at stake and with such simple instructions to go bathe in the River Jordan and be healed, yet he leaves in anger, he leaves in rage, the exact opposite thing that he should have done. Should have humbled himself, gone down to the river and bathed, yet he makes the exact wrong decision out of anger and it says out of rage he leaves instead of being healed. See, Naaman had a big chance to change his entire life, but he stubbornly would not decide to do what Elisha had asked because it was different than what he had already decided in his mind. He had already imagined what Elisha should have done for him, to come out and put his hand over this spot that needed healing, to say a prayer, to heal him in person, in that place, and he would reward him handsomely with all these treasures that he brought. But no, that was, that was too much to ask, and Elisha couldn't even come out. Elisha sent his servant out. And instead of healing him, he's going to have him go bathe in the Jordan local river. Why? 
And so he leaves angry and he leaves without being healed because his heart was hardened. He would not do the simple thing that Elisha had commanded him to do. Here's the lesson. A hard heart crushes many better decisions. Has this ever happened to you? A hard heart crushing a better decision? For example, there's someone who's trying to reconcile a relationship in your life, but out of pride, you refuse. You crush the relationship because you're not willing to humble yourself and forgive or ask for forgiveness. How many times has there been a better way, a better path, a brighter future, but out of pride, out of a hard heart, because things did not go the way we wanted them to go, the way we expected them to go, the way we demanded them to go. Because of that, and out of a refusal, stubbornness of heart, we suffered loss, made a poor decision, a lesser decision, and got a lesser result because a hard heart crushes many better decisions. (laughs) You can imagine a wife saying to her husband, hey, let's take the car this time. Let's not walk. It's overcast. There could be rain. No, 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 no. It's fine. I've already decided we're going we're gonna to walk there. It's going to be fine. We should just take the car this time. To be safe. No, no, we're going to be fine. And they walk there and it is fine. But then they get there and they're on their way back. And sure enough, the thunderclouds roll over and the rain starts pouring down and they're being drenched and they're soaking wet when they get home. And it's as they're walking through the door. I know, I know, I know. I know. should have listened. <laughs> I wouldn't be soaked. I'd be dry. There's so many times that, that hard heartedness of heart because we've already decided, we've already set our course and we hear wisdom. And instead of reconsidering, rethinking, reevaluating, we stubbornly stick to a poor decision. Yet there's so many times when we make a decision that is the right decision. It honors God. We, we set our values. We set our moral, our, our moral compass. We, we base it on God's word and we say, this is the way and I'm going to walk in it regardless of consequence. Even if all my friends are doing it, even if the whole world is affirming this decision and, and I believe it's wrong, I, I'm going to stick with what God says is right. And then in those moments, that hardness of our determination is a good thing. Instead of rethinking what was a good decision, we stick to it and it yields great reward because we've stuck with our commitment. It's what it takes to get to a 50th wedding anniversary. It's what it takes to make a great career in anything that you attempt and work at it through the ups and the downs and the failures and the setbacks and the learnings is to press on and move forward and not give up. Stick with your commitment. Mentor of mine, Pastor Kevin Myers, I heard him say, pick it and stick it. Commit and then complete. However, there's sometimes when we make a decision in our mind, we have an expectation like Naaman had. And there's a time where, where God is providing a better way. Yet we for some reason, refuse to rethink that decision at the wrong time. And we suffer loss. And here, Naaman, it's heartbreaking, but he could have been healed. But he would not reconsider. He would not humble himself. And so it says he left. The very place that could have been his healing, he leaves in rage because he has a hard heart. People sometimes in your life will bring advice or rebuke, redirection and correction. And you don't always have to agree with everybody who speaks a word of advice into your life because sometimes it might be wrong. 
but people want to be heard. They, they want to be understood when they, when they share. They, they want to know that you, you are recognizing what it is that they're saying. And you may come to a different conclusion in the end, but it's, it's out of humility that we need to consider the words that are being said. And, and Naaman here, he didn't really even consider what was being said. His, his walls were up. How, how about you? Are your walls up in the workplace? Are your walls up in the home? What about that relationship that's not going so perfect right now, but it has potential to be reconciled, to be healed, to be restored? Are the walls kind of up to where you're not really evaluating, not really listening, not seeing how you really could care? See, when we put those walls up and our heart is hard, we tend to crush, we tend to crush decisions, better decisions. If you look back again at verse 11, it says, Naaman went away angry. And then in verse 13, 13, it says at the end of verse 13, it says that he, he left, or excuse me, verse 12, it says that he left in rage. He left in rage. So in rage, in anger, you know, if you were with us last week, I, if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and catch up on the message as we, we talked about angry decisions and how to make better decisions when we're angry and how so many times we make very consequential decisions when we're, when we're hot, when we're angry, when we're frustrated. And it leads to significant regret in our life. And so if you struggle with anger or know someone that does, you need to listen to last week's message to really help you. But there's another aspect of what we talked about last week. If you were here, you, you remember we talked about how anger is an indicator. It's like an indicator on the indicator light on the dashboard of your life. And when you start to be bothered by something, frustrated, a lot of times it's an indicator that something is wrong. It might be something in you that, that really bothers you. It might be something in our world, something that was said or done by another person, but that indicator light goes on. And then there's a huge decision you have to make after that indicator light comes on in your life that we call frustration or anger. And that's how you deal with it. We talked about this verse in God's word from Ephesians chapter four, verse 26, where it says, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. We talked about how you sometimes can't control the emotion of feeling initially frustrated, but how we want to control that response after anger hits and not sin in our anger. And we talked about how if we make the right decision through processing the decision well, we can, we can get better results in our life. But if we make a poor response to that anger because we didn't process it well, then we can get more regret. Things can actually get worse. We can blow up. We can say things we regret. So many poor decisions are made because we don't process what bothers us and we don't get better results because we don't have a good response. And so we, we talked about this and, and certainly the Bible talks about, you know, it's to our glory to overlook an offense, to, to work hard, to not be easily angered. And these are important things, but nevertheless, we still struggle with anger from time to time. We struggle with this feeling. So we talked about how to process that when it comes up, how to bring good out of that, how it can even turn into a gift if it leads to repentance, because it's possible to experience anger and not sin, just like God, who's angry at our sin, yet he has never sinned. But the, the fuller part of this conversation, there's, there's more to it. And we talked about in this uh, chapter of Ephesians, chapter four, verse 26, uh, about how we should not sin when we're angry. Yeah, if you'll look at this verse, we're gonna put it here on the screen for you. Ephesians chapter four, look with me at God's word further down in verse 31. Ephesians chapter four, verse 31, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. So we're going to be angry at times, and it says, in our anger, do not sin. Yet now it's telling us to completely get rid of anger. Like rid yourself of it. It's not a good thing to live angry. 
And then if you remember last week, we also talked about James chapter 1, where it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. We talked about the importance of not getting angry quickly. But then if you look at the very next verse in James chapter 1, part 2 of this, look, verse 20, it says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God's that God desires. So to, to stay angry, to live as an angry person, to, to be angry, it's not a good thing because it doesn't produce the kind of life that God wants you to live. One more verse on this, Proverbs chapter 29. Look at verse 11. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Did you see that? It says fools give full vent to their rage. So it seems like there's an initial response to this frustrating moment where we might feel a little bit of anger or tension rising within us. But the Bible's telling us not only to not sin in that moment, to make good decisions, have good responses like we talked about last week from that moment, but it's also telling us that because anger can be so destructive in your life, work hard to get rid of the condition of being angry. See, you're going to experience moments of frustration. However, you can absolutely control if you choose to be an angry person or not. Here's what I'm trying to say. Conviction from anger is very different than the condition of anger. So conviction coming out of anger, I'm frustrated at this moment. See, see, Naaman was frustrated when Elisha said, go and cleanse yourself in this river. He didn't like that for multiple reasons. He was frustrated. Maybe there's nothing he could have done about that initial, oh, that's not what I expected to hear. It bothered him. Now you can work on becoming the kind of person who's more easygoing. It's a good quality to not be easily angered, not be quick to be angry. All, all these very important truths. But there's going to be things that bother you. And this bothered him. However, there's a different state that we can live in, the condition of anger. It says he left in rage. He's still angry. It wasn't just the initial moment where he could have responded and made a good choice and said, okay, I'll humble myself. It's not what I've chosen, but I'm, I'm going to respond well and things would have got better for him. No, no. He, he chose to carry anger and it led to a poor decision. He left his place of healing because he was living in anger. And, and here's what I'll tell you today is it's, it's very important that you don't live in the condition of anger. And I'm, not, and I'm not saying that you live in anger all the time because I'd imagine you'd say, no, that's not me. That's not me, pastor. I'm, I'm not the kind of person to always be angry. But if we ask the people around you that you live with and work next to and go to school with, where they say that you have a pattern of getting angry when you get frustrated, kind of blowing up and it gets tense and you just kind of live that way and then you make decisions out of those moments and sometimes there's carryover and effect for the people around you. Sure, we've probably all been there. And Naaman was there in that moment and it cost him as he left his place of healing because he had a condition of anger and he carried that. See, rage or even just being hard-hearted can cause us to miss a better way. That's what I'm trying to say. It can cause you to miss a better way. So many places that this can impact our parenting, can impact our closest relationships. It can impact so much about your life. Be cautious of not being open to a better way, rethinking. We were in Washington, D.C. on our way to visit our church experience Butler family in Pennsylvania, and we decided to take a little detour, a little extra 20 minutes out of our way to go. Instead of going around the Beltway, we decided to drive through the city, let our kids see some of the sights. And So we're driving through the city, and we find this really cool street. We're going underneath an overpass, 
and, and we're, we're driving parallel to this, this highway above us, underneath it, uh, through the city. And there's all kinds of shops and restaurants. It's a pretty cool little street, and we're just really enjoying the views and being in the city of D.C. And, and as we're driving down this main road, there's a, there's a bus in front of us. A large passenger bus that imagines full of a, of a sports team or a, a kid's field trip. And it's just got a bunch of people on it. But th- they realize they need to turn around. And so this bus, for whatever reason, is deciding to back onto the street in front of us. And we don't know if they're parking or if they're going to head the other way. But, but for whatever reason, they're turning around. You can see a picture of it here. It's a really long bus in a really tight corridor. They're trying to turn it. And there's like no way this is going to work. But the bus driver, he is determined that he's going to back down this street. We're thinking, like, what are you thinking? And we're all watching this take place for 10, 20 minutes. He's got traffic backed up both directions in our nation's capital. It's a terrible place to try to turn around. And he's got somebody on, the, on his tail end of the bus, some in the front end giving him directions. And at some point, I just kind of holler out the window just being helpful, trying to be helpful to the, to the guy that's on the street directing him. I'm like, hey, man, I don't think you're ever going to make it. I don't think it's going to work. You know, he's too close to the building. He's going he's gonna to ruin his bus. He's going to have a really bad day, man. Just, just keep going. Just keep going, right? So I'm, I'm telling him, I don't think it's going to work. Well, I want to come back to this story in just a moment because, because this, this guy, this bus driver, he didn't listen to me. I'll tell you what happened later in this message, but, but he didn't listen to me. He, he ignored what I was trying to give him some advice from somebody who had a different vantage point than him. He's in the bus. I see the whole picture, and, and I'm saying, hey, man, I think you're going to make it. It's not going to work out. But he ignored it. And, and here, here's the thing. A lot of us have a pattern of ignoring direction ignoring correction. Whether it be God's correction in our life or a friend trying to give us advice, we have a pattern of ignoring it. And and a question I want you to think about today is is this. Am I open to God showing me a better way? In other words, am I open to rethinking this decision? Am I open to God showing me a better way? If you're feeling stuck right now, if you're trying to discern what's next, what's God want to do in my life? If there's an area in your life you just, you can't figure it out. And you've been experiencing consequences over and over again. Are you open to God showing you a better way? You've made your decisions. You've predetermined what you're going to do. But are you open to saying, God, maybe there's a better way? Perhaps I've missed something. Maybe it's something inside of me or something in my circumstances. Are you open to God showing you a better way? Let's take a look at 2 Kings chapter 15, or chapter 5, verse 13. This is where the story gets very interesting. It says, Naaman's servants, they went to him and they said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? They very respectfully come to him in his anger and in his rage. And by the way, if you're ever confronting someone, trying to help them see a better way, trying to help them rethink their decision, make sure you do it in a respectful and honoring way. See, it's it's very important how you approach somebody because sometimes the very way that you approach them, you might even have the right answer, but the way that you approach them can make all the difference. If you approach them the wrong way, it it may lead to a a poor decision, poor poor response. But if you approach someone out of humility, they they, they said, my father, they're his servants. They said, my father, have you considered, would you possibly rethink this decision that you've made? And, And it's so valuable that he has these his friends, these comrades in his life that were willing to risk being in the crosshair of his anger enough. They were willing to risk that enough to come to him and in love rebuke him. Are you willing to be courageous 
to step into your friend's life when you see them start to go towards sin? Is it just saying, ah, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. We're ignoring it. Maybe to a son or a daughter, to a parent, to someone that you care about, and graciously in an honoring way, go to them and say, hey, I've noticed this. Have you considered? It seems to me like, you know, these, these, these words can be so powerful. And, and what a gift that he has these people in his life. It's very important how you approach it. See, they approach him in a very generous way. And, and when you approach someone out of love and concern that they're going to make a poor decision that's going to lead to regret in their life, they can tell that you care about them. But I think sometimes we naturally approach people when we see them making decisions we wouldn't make. We approach them out of a posture of control. We really want to control the decision. Hey, you can't do that. That's not right. You shouldn't do that. And it comes across harsh and sometimes pushes in the opposite way because they don't want to be controlled. See, think about how God works with us. How many of our decisions did he see that we're going to lead to regret? Yet he still allowed us to make them. He didn't control us. He didn't come in and force our hand. Instead, he said, well, here's the way. Walk in it. Here's my word. Yet he gave us the ability to choose. It's the same way that we need to approach our friends. And they come to Naaman respectfully, and they ask him to make a change. They ask him to make a change. Now, sometimes decisions get ignored. Sometimes advice gets ignored. We were at uh, Disney Springs earlier this summer with our family, and we were over there for some uh, ministry event. And while we were there, we, we went and we went to Jennifer's favorite, uh, probably, probably her favorite place to eat at Disney Springs. It's a, it's a cupcake store. It's a favorite dessert place. It's called Sprinkles. And they have a cupcake ATM where you literally can go put your credit card in and you can purchase a, a cupcake and it'll come and drop out of the machine. Well, for whatever reason, there was a line and we decided to go inside the store this time. And we went inside to buy a cupcake and she picked out her red velvet gluten-free cupcake. And so we're waiting in line for them to produce it. It's this bakery and, and there, there's some other people in the store. And, and when you purchase it, you, you do it electronically and you, you type your name in. And I thought, well, I'm going to have a little bit of fun. I'm going to have some fun here. And so I... I, I Thinking, hey, I'm in a bakery. I'm going to have some fun. And so I typed, instead of Jennifer Bruce, I typed Jen Cute Buns. Jen Cute Buns. That was the name I put on there. And I'm like, this is going to be fun. And I showed the kids. I'm like, hey, they're going to call her name out later. Check this out. And so they're looking at it. They're giggling. They're waiting. Jennifer's like, oh, seriously? And, and, and so sure enough, the, the person ahead of us, they, they come call her name. Hey, Stephanie, we have your, we have your, your caramel cupcake. And so she comes and gets her cupcake. And I'm like, okay, we're next. We're next, kids. And we're all getting excited to see if they're going to read out this name. And then the gal comes forward. But instead of reading the name, she just says, <laughs> awkwardly, uh, red velvet, red, red velvet cupcake. And she sets it on the counter and we all start laughing. The kids are laughing and we entertained her mildly, but we were entertained extravagantly at this, this moment. But she completely ignored it. She's like, I'm not going to make a fool of myself. I'm not going to read this out in a public place. And so she just ignored it. She just totally ignored it, completely ignored it. And, and there's, there's some times in our life when, when God's trying to get a message through to us. There's a word for us. There's a, there's a name for us. There's something that he wants to speak into our life. And we're just ignoring him. We're ignoring him. Sometimes we're ignoring God because we're so busy. We're tuning him out. We're, we're not having time to meet with God, to get in his word, to get in his presence. And we're just ignoring God because we're busy. There's other times where we are in God's presence. We're, we're spending time with him. We're in a service and God's speaking into our life. But we're ignoring him because it hurts, because we're not ready for it. We, we don't want the healing enough. And so we're just, we're just kind of pushing God away. God, I don't want to change that. I don't want to give that up yet. I'm not ready. God, I need some more time. And, and we ignore some times we ignore the word that God wants to bring into our life and God wanted to bring healing. He wanted to bring healing. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 17. God's word says, whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life, 
but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Have you ever thought about how you ignoring God's way, God's plan, not only does it bring regret and harm into your life, but it has a trickle-down effect to the people that you care about. Like it says here, it leads others astray. When you ignore correction, let's say God's working on your life, he's convicting you, you know there's something you need to change, but you refuse to change it. Day after day, month after month, year after year, you refuse to change it, you just ignore God. You ignore the correction, you ignore the rebuke, it leads others astray. In other words, your kids are watching how you live your life. That, the habit you haven't changed, that pattern, the way that you scream and yell and curse, and, and you know you need to change it, but it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to carry on to the next generation. They're, they're going to pick up the same bad patterns. You overuse and abuse alcohol, and, and it's brought so many problems into your family, but you just can't seem to give it up, can't seem to let it go. Listen, like there's, there's people watching you. Like you, have, you have friends that are watching you. You have others, that you're drinking buddies. Like it's, it's influencing them negatively too. Might, might, might not ruin your marriage, but might ruin their marriage. Listen, listen. When, when God brings correction, when God brings rebuke into your life, listen. Listen, don't, don't ignore it. Listen to it. Because my decision to ignore correction now increases my regret later. R- write it down, but, but sear it into your mind. My decision to ignore correction now increases regret later. Don't ignore God's correction. Make the change now. Make the change now. Thankfully, Naaman... He has these people in his life, and they rebuke him. They confront him. They say, Naaman, something needs to change. And, and by the way, before we go on, what an amazing gift that we can have other believers in our life. Our church is really ramping up life groups right now. We have near a record number of groups right now. We have an incredible amount of groups. It's just about the most we've ever had in our history of our church. It's amazing. Uh, this last week in the lobby of our, our church after the services, we we, we had all kinds of group signups going on. It's just amazing to see what God's doing. And if you would like to get connected in a group, I hope you'll do that, whether it's digitally or in person. I hope you'll find a way to get connected to other believers, get involved in a life group. Life groups are about experiencing life together in Christ. We need others around us, but you gotta take the step. You gotta take the initiative so that when you're going through something, you have people like Naaman did in your life that can call you out, that can pray for you, that can encourage you. That community to have people that care is such a gift. I've seen it over and over again. Don't miss out on the beauty of doing life together in, in, in relationship. Second Kings chapter five, verse 14. So they, they confront Naaman and here's the final part of the story. Verse 14, it says, these amazing words, it says, so, so he went down. So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. He was healed. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and he said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. It's amazing here. God heals him and makes a huge statement in his life. It would go on and change his life. He would become a God worshiper from this time on. He would worship the Lord our God from this, this moment. But it came because he humbled himself and he rethought his decision. We're talking about rethinking decisions. He, he had hardened his heart. He had a certain expectations. It didn't go the way that he thought it would go. But instead of leaving in anger, instead of carrying rage and having the condition of anger, he decided to humble himself. And through good advice, through the people that he had in his life, that he was experiencing life together with, 
They spoke truth into his life. They gently and lovingly confronted him. And he decided to change, and it brought healing. What a beautiful and powerful story of what God wants to do in our life as we listen to him, as we receive correction, as we make changes. Instead of being stubborn and hard-hearted, are you willing to make the change? Are you willing to rethink the decision so that you can live a more God-honoring life? I heard an amazing story about two friends. One had just suffered a devastating financial setback. I mean, literally, it was, it was a crazy loss they had financially. And they were saying to their other friend, the first friend was saying, I, I've lost everything. I've lost it all. And their other friend, out of concern, they said, I, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about your wife. And their first friend said, my wife? What do you mean? And he says, I, I'm so sorry to hear about your health. His friend said, what are you talking about, my help? And on and on, this, this second friend goes, I'm sorry about this, I'm sorry about that. And he just names all these wonderful things in his life. And the man says, what are you talking about all these things? I'm talking about his financial loss. And his, and his good friend says to me, what? I thought you said you've lost everything. I thought, you, thought you lost it all. Point taken. I, I lost a lot. It was a significant loss, but I didn't lose everything. See, sometimes we need to rethink where we're at. Sometimes we can get discouraged. Sometimes we can feel like it's all over. I can't go on. I can't handle another day. can't handle another year. I can't get through it. I'll never graduate. I'll never get the promotion. I can't make it through this season with my kids. I, I, I'm never going to be able to retire. I, whatever it is, we, we have all these negative thoughts in our mind. I, I can't do it. I don't think I can do it. And sometimes just reconsider, reevaluate, change your perspective. You know, with, with God's help, I mean, I can see this from a different lens. God, thank you. You actually have done so many great things in my life. And you know what, God, your best still is yet to come. And even if this whole life is miserable because I have faith in Jesus, I, the best truly is yet to come in heaven. I have so much to look forward to. God, you're with me. You'll never leave me. You're the, you're the best friend I could ever ask for. Reframing and rethinking our decisions sometimes can lead to better results, a better attitude, a better posture in life, a better perspective. Rethinking decisions from God's perspective can help you radically change your life. So what decisions do you need to rethink? What attitude do you need to reconsider in your life? Perhaps someone here in this message today, God is convicting you. Don't ignore it, by the way. Don't ignore it, but maybe he's convicting you because you have generally led a very self-centered life. It's not that you don't like people or that people like you, but really your life has been about you. It's about the person looking at you in the mirror. That's, that's what your life has been about. And maybe you need to rethink the long-term implications of leading a self-centered life that ends very lonely, that's lived without real lasting purpose, that influences others. It's more earthly than eternal. And maybe this is a time where the Holy Spirit is speaking to you to reconsider living a selfless life, a life that's not about you and it's about others. What, what changes would you need to make to rethink that decision? Certainly there's probably some who are hearing this message and they have made certain decisions in their relationships sexually, whether in their current relationship, maybe sleeping with someone they're not married to, or in past relationships or patterns in their life. And they're not honoring God's teaching on sexuality. God has a very clear stance that's never changed, that, that he created sex, that it's a gift, but it's meant to be experienced in the context that he created the beautiful context of marriage. 
between a man and a woman who've committed themselves together for life. That's how God created family. It wasn't man's invention. Marriage was not invented by some civilization, some government. It was invented and created by God. He ordained and he said, this is how I want it to happen. Maybe some of us need to rethink our perspective on family. Maybe you need to rethink your stance on your sexuality. To honor God, to rethink that decision that has such lasting consequences and can have so many regrets when it's not submitted to God. Maybe there's someone here who needs to rethink their financial life and their financial decisions. Everything that you have ever received through form of a paycheck has been consumed on self. You've given very little thought to how you can use what God has given you for others. In fact, you don't even view it as God's. It's all yours. But maybe today God's causing you to rethink the fact that this is it's not mine. It's provided by God. It's all owned by his. And I need to manage better what he's given me so I can be generous towards his kingdom, to honor God with my finances, to bless others who are in need, to think of others when I have abundance and not just piling up more for myself. Maybe it's a decision you need to rethink. And you say, well, that's not for me. I'm I'm good. But maybe you need to rethink that decision. Maybe you've been okay with having an edgy attitude when others upset you. Maybe you've been an impatient person. Maybe you've been okay with cheating a little bit to get ahead or lying to get out of a problem. Maybe today God is convicting you in one of many different areas we could talk about so that you could make a change, so that you could see God do something transformational in your life like he did in Naaman's life. He brought healing. He brought a future that he would not have had. Listen, don't experience regret because you're ignoring the conviction of God. Rethink that decision so you can get a better result. I want to tell you, I want to circle back here at the end of the message. I want to tell you about what happened to that bus. I remember being downtown Washington, D.C. and seeing this bus. And we're, we're here in this beautiful place underneath this overpass on this cool road, the shops and the bus. He's trying to, to back down the street. And I'm telling him, it's, it's not going to work. Well, we wait probably good in 15, maybe 20 minutes, he finally is able to back up down this street, enough at least that we could get around. So I don't know what's going to happen to him. I don't know if he's parking. I don't know if he's going to go the other. I don't know what's going on at this point, but I decided I'm just going to keep going forward. And so I'm actually the lead car. And so I pull out and I I go around him and and, and I head down this road and I'm following the GPS. We're heading out of town. We've driven through town. We're getting out of town and I I follow it. And I I get to the end of the street and and my GPS says to veer off right. And I see the overpass above me veering off right. And and I want to go right, but it's a dead end. It's a dead end road. I'm thinking, oh no, I, I, I can't. I have to literally turn around. I've driven all the way to the end of the street and now I have to turn around. See, what would happening? My, my, my GPS was following the highway above me. It thought I was on the highway and it was directing me where I needed to go. But I couldn't get there on the road that I was on. I was actually on a dead end road. I would never get where I needed to go on that road. I was on a dead end road to nowhere. The bus discovered it. He discovered it in just enough time that he could turn around on that last street and not get stuck at the end of a dead-end road with a big old bus. Someone had told him. He had figured it out somehow, and he was turning around. He was changing his mind, even though it was difficult, even though he could barely do it, even though he had inches to spare. He said, I'm going to turn around before I get to the dead end. Before I get to a difficult spot, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to go the other direction. I was confident I was going the right direction. I was confident I had the answers. I was confident he was wrong, and I was right. But in the end of the day, when truth settled in, when reality hit, I recognized that I was the one that was wrong and he was the one 
that was right? How about you? What decision in your life are you so confident in that when you get to the end of your life, you're going to recognize when you stand before truth, when you stand before a holy God, that what you've been holding on to so tight, you really should have reconsidered when you still had time. I want to close with this final verse today before I pray for you. It's from Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do we make better decisions? We surrender our minds to God. We humbly come before Him and say, God, even though I'm so confident that what I'm doing is what I want to do and what feels right in the moment, I recognize, God, that you're the creator. You're all wise. You're all powerful. You know truth. You were here before time began. And so, God, because of who you are, and I, a sinful man, come before you and recognize that I'm prone to make the wrong decision. And perhaps the, the best decision you'll ever make is to come before that holy God and say, God, renew my mind, transform my mind. I don't want to conform any longer to the pattern of this world that leads to destruction and end. God, I want to experience your grace and your love and your forgiveness. So God, please forgive me for going the wrong way. Forgive me for all of my poor decision-making and all the regrets and all the guilt and all the shame. God, I bring it to you, trusting the greatest decision you can ever make is to come to Jesus, believing that his grace is sufficient for you. And whether you're coming back home today or for the first time, just coming to him and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I've gone the wrong way. I've ended up on that dead end road, but I want to turn things around. It's what the Bible calls repentance. I want to turn to you. I want to turn away from sin and turn to you, God, and experience your grace. And Jesus, because he loved you so much, he wasn't content to let you suffer in your sins, so he died on a cross for your sins 2,000 years ago. He paid the price for your sins. So if you'll just receive him and believe in him, he already paid the penalty for all of your regrets, all your mistakes. By his amazing grace, you get his love and his companionship and heaven and peace in your heart. And just say, Jesus, I'm turning around, I'm turning this bus around and I'm turning back to you. Forgive me. Jesus, I wanna follow you with everything. I've gotta receive you in my life today. And, and that's a prayer that you can pray in your own way, with your own words right now. And if you pray it, God will, will hear you. He'll receive you. And many of us have prayed that prayer, but you know, our, our takeaway from this message is that the Holy Spirit's working in our life and, and he's, he's got that one thing in front of us and we can see it. We know what it is. We've got to change it. We've got to turn things around. It's never too late to make a good decision. It's never too late to make a good decision. This is your day. Make that decision today. There's nothing like the present to make a change that will impact your future. So make it today. Don't delay it. What's, what's your one thing? What's your big decision? It needs to surrender to God change your life and impact your future. What is that decision today? Come on, let's pray together and ask God to give us grace and help as we make better decisions. God, we thank you so much for your amazing grace. No matter how far we've gone down the wrong road, God, you, you always give us grace to, to turn around, to make a change. And so God, I pray right now for those who are sensing by your spirit that God, you're convicting them of things that need to change. God, may they be faithful and courageous to make that change right now in this moment. There's nothing that, that runs away so quickly as the moment of conviction. And God, so while we're in that moment right now and we know what it is that we need to change, may we commit it to you to make the change. 
to make better decisions, experience fewer results. While you're thinking and praying about what that is, let me speak to those of you who are sensing God leading you to turn your life over to him, to come back to him. You know that you've made poor decisions. You know you need God's grace. You've been so confident in your wrong ways, but today in humility, you're saying, God, I'm, I'm turning my life over to you regardless of the consequences. I want to follow your ways. I want to get on that highway that takes me where I need to go. In the end, I want to end up in your presence. I want to end up in paradise. So if that's you right now, you can humble yourself before God. Like Naaman humbled himself. He said, I was wrong. I was angry for whatever reasons. It's behind me. I'm going to go get healing. And today is your day of healing. Just come to God and say, God, please forgive me of my sins. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I need you, Jesus, to come into my life. Wash me like you washed Naaman. Wash all my sins away, past, present, and future, through Jesus' once and for all sacrifice on that cross for me. He died for me to show me his great love, but to pay the price for my sins. Thank you, Jesus. I receive you today. Right now, in your own way, in your own words, just receive him into your life. Receive him into your life. God, thank you for what you're doing right here, right now, in this moment, in this place. You are present and you are powerful. And we thank you. Bring healing. And God, may it transcend this moment as we leave this moment. We go back into our life. May we carry with us these changes, these turnarounds, these better decisions that we're making today. God, may you work in powerful ways as we move into the future, freed up from poor decision-making. We won't be perfect, but God, our decision-making framework is now different as we've submitted it to you. We thank you for helping us know what your good, pleasing, and perfect will is. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before our usher team comes forward to receive our tithes and offerings and response cards, here's a few important things happening with our CE family. Whether you're new to church experience or have been attending for a while, you're invited to join us for first class. Here, you will learn more about our history, beliefs, and vision with CE while getting to know others and interacting with some of our leaders. To let us know that you're interested in attending first class on Sunday, September 11th, check the first class bubble on the back of your response card. Life groups are fun, supportive groups of people where you can find healthy relationships, deepen your connection with God, and serve with others. It's a great place to meet others who want to experience life together in Christ. Check out the updated list of available life groups on the Church Experience website. Click on your campus from the main page of the website, then click on Life Groups for ways to get connected. Life is so much better together. As our ushers come forward to collect our response cards and receive our tithes and offerings, God tells us in His Word that He loves a cheerful giver. When we joyfully return our finances to God, we count every gift a joy to give, knowing that our generosity pleases God, moves His kingdom forward by changing lives eternally, impacts our surrounding community, and is a blessing to our entire church family. Our giving really matters and makes a big difference. You can easily give online, mail in a check, or give through the offering bucket in the service. We also recommend taking a few minutes to set up recurring giving through our website, which is the best way to give with consistency. Thank you for faithfully giving to God through church experience. Thank you for being on mission with us to help more people experience a full life in Jesus Christ.
Hey, I had the best time with you today, worshiping and learning with you. You may have had made a commitment during the service. We'd love to hear, have you reach out to us. Now, if you have any questions or comments or prayer requests, please again go to that churchexperience.tv forward slash connect or simply just scan the QR code. Now, want to get even more connected? Please check out our CE social medias, Instagram, Facebook, website, or app, and go ahead and just hit the subscribe button. Now again, what a great day it's been. I can't wait to see you next week.